Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Hi, Southcrest. I'm glad that you've joined us this evening, and I'm, I'm so appreciative of you being so faithful and in um, watching and praying for us and giving. You've been just an amazing group of people. And tonight, we're going to look at Ephesians. Uh, before we do, though, we've uh, got special music for you. And before uh, Mike Motherell comes, and I know you're going to enjoy hearing him sing, I'd like to <clears throat> mention a few of our families that in the last couple of weeks have lost loved ones. And you may have gotten a copy of the prayer list But I thought as we begin tonight and begin to pray or have prayer that we would pray for these families, the family of of Belle Bingham, Paul and Debbie Harmon, and the loss of her brother, uh, the family of Jean Rawls, uh, Liz Spear and the loss of her mother-in-law, Matt Grant and the loss of his wife, Vicki, Stan and Kathy Lusk and the loss of her father, also Jan Flowers. And Cody and Kayla Webb and the loss of her grandfather, that's all the same family, the Lusk and the Webbers and the Flowers. And John and Lisa Flemons and the loss of her brother. Jeanette Reeves and the loss of her mother. Her mom, by the way, did die of COVID-19 uh, from the nursing home, I understand. And she's lived in Silverton. Uh, Jason and Lisa Swafford and the loss of his grandfather, I think was buried yesterday. That's uh, Mason Swafford, who's our... IT guy here at Southcrest, that's his great-grandfather. And then Carrie Phillips, in, uh, Carrie lost his wife, Terry, uh, just this week. Now, all of those have been in the last, since, since uh, April the 9th. And so we've had a lot of people that are going through a lot of difficult times. And I may, you may be one of those that's um, hurting tonight. You may be lonely but you've come to the right place because we're going to join in our spirits together and, and honor the Lord. I uh, want to lead us in prayer. And after I pray, I think you'll really be blessed by the song by Mike Motherell as he comes and sings. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word that gives us comfort and strength. We thank you for the privilege and the invitation to come to you with our needs. You've told us we can come boldly to the throne of grace for help in time of need. And so we come asking you for wisdom and direction and protection and encouragement. And we ask God that you would let folks tonight that seem to be lonely, that that would be reminded that you're there with them. Lord, we long for the day when we can open our doors and people can come and gather together. And we pray for wisdom to know when that time should be. We do lift up these who've lost loved ones. Many of them have lost spouses. Some have lost their moms, their dads, their brothers and sisters. They have lost their wives, their spouses. Lord, there are a lot of hurting people associated with our church. And so we lift up these families that I just read a moment ago and pray that you'll comfort them and help them during this time of grief. You are acquainted with our grief. You understand how we feel, and we thank you that we can call on you. So now we ask that you would speak to us from your word, especially when we begin to talk about families and and marriages and parenting. 
Uh, we ask God that you would help heal relationships, that you would draw husbands and wives closer together. And um, we lift up Mike to you now as he sings. And Lord, thank you for uh, the abilities and gifts you've given him. And thank you that he uses them freely to serve you. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this time tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I'm pretty sure I hear you clapping at home or saying amen. Thank you, Mike, for uh, being a part of that and for blessing us with that, what I should say. Well, folks, tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and we are going to be in the passage for uh, tonight and next Wednesday night and the following Wednesday night uh, dealing with family issues. We're going to talk about wives and husbands and parents all different nights. Tonight, we're going to look at the role of the spirit-filled wife. I want to begin reading in verse 21 of chapter 5 that says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, that passage talks about being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and giving thanks to God. And then it says to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And that's what we do as a church when we are meeting with one another. We we don't lord it over each other. We submit to one another and honor each other. And then he moves to verse 22, which says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then in verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I'd like to have prayer with you again, so would you join me as we pray? Lord, we ask that you would strengthen families, marriages, parents. We need so much help, and especially right now with families being um, out of sync, so to speak, in their schedules they're having to do things they haven't done before. They've been cooped up together. We pray, God, that you would use this time for those relationships to grow closer to you and that you would help husbands and wives to love each other, to respect each other. We pray that parents would be patient with their children and love them and raise them to know you. So, Lord, we ask you to help us tonight as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I can tell you that forgetfulness can have some funny consequences in any profession, but especially if you are a speaker. Any kind of public speaking, ministry, preaching, you're going to say some things that are going to be funny from time to time, and I, I'm pretty sure I do it every week because I, I see you smiling, so I'm sure I say some crazy things, but I read of a retired pastor who was giving a seminary graduate, a young man that was going into the ministry, some advice on conducting his first wedding ceremony. And the senior minister, the retired pastor, said, son, in weddings, a lot of things can get backwards and you have to be careful, but in the middle of the ceremony, if you forget what you're supposed to say, well, give yourself a little break and just quote the first scripture that comes to mind. And then you'll regain your thoughts and you can go through with the, with the wedding. And sure enough, during his first wedding, and I can relate to this. I'm going to tell you, I still remember my first wedding. I was 16 years old when I conducted my first wedding. 
and I know how scary it is. Well, this, this young man, he lost his place, and he forgot what he was going to say next, and he remembered what this retired pastor said to him, quote, Scripture. So the first thing that came to mind was the Scripture, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Someone put it this way, love has been described as a three-ring circus. First comes the engagement ring, then comes the wedding ring, then comes the suffering. You may have heard about the newlyweds on their honeymoon. The groom took his bride by the hand and said, now that we're married, dear, I hope you won't mind if I mention a few little defects that I've noticed about you. She said, not at all. It was those little defects that kept me from getting a better husband. There are lots of stories told about weddings and marriage and all. But Paul mentions this in Ephesians. And this is probably one of the most abused passages and misunderstood passages in all of the Bible. He's expanding on the subject of mutual submission. How when we're filled with the Spirit of God, we submit to one another in love and he uses several illustrations. He uses the illustration of the family beginning with the relationship of husbands and wives. I want you to know there are no classifications of Christians. Every believer in Jesus Christ has exactly the same salvation, the same standing before God, the same divine nature and resources, the same Holy Spirit living in them, and the same divine promises and inheritance. There are no second-class Christians. We're all equal in the eyes of God. But in the matter of role and function, God has made some distinctions. Although there are no differences in our value and our worth and our spiritual privileges and the rights that we have as his people, the Lord has given people different roles. There are leaders. We have leaders in the government. We submit to them. There are leaders in the church. We follow their leadership. He's given authority to people. He's given authority to parents over their children. But when it comes to husbands and wives, the, the husband, it's not that he has the same authority as a parent and a child, but he has a given role to lead and a wife is to be beside him and to follow his leadership. I know that she's going to advise him. I read of a couple that were enjoying their new fishing boat and they were out fishing one day and the husband was behind the wheel operating the boat and he was concerned about what might what what might happen if he died or he, there was an emergency out there on the lake, would she know how to get the boat home? So one day out on the lake, he said to his wife, honey, I want you to take the wheel and I want you to pretend that I'm having a heart attack. You've got to get the boat safely to shore and dock it. So sure enough, she drove the boat to the shore. She safely docked it. Well, later that evening, while they were at home, the wife walked into the living room where her husband was watching TV, and she sat down by him, took the TV control, changed the channel, and said, Honey, I want you to go into the kitchen, pretend I'm having a heart attack, set the table, cook the dinner, and wash the dishes. We're going to look at the roles of husbands and wives. So let's begin in looking at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
I want us to first talk about the myths of submission. The myths. Here are a few major lies that are told by society, and Satan in particular, are going to tell women in order to draw them away from doing what God wants them to do. Now, when you remember, we're in the passage of being filled with the Spirit of God and being obedient to him and what he wants us to do. And here are a few of the lies. The first one is the Bible is old school chauvinistic. Oh, man, this lies faithfully told by feminists and liberal philosophers and liberal politicians. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite of that. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it plainly states that God made male and female according to specific and unique designs. Genesis 2.18, God said that his creation, everything was good except for one thing. He said, it is not good that Adam, that man is alone. So Eve was created and Eve was so deeply special and specially designed. It was made wonderful by, she was made wonderful by God. And in the context of marriage, the Bible always Now, I want you to hear the word always, no exception. The Bible always gives great honor to women. Throughout Proverbs, God teaches that women and wives are priceless in their value. Proverbs 18, 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Also, Proverbs 19, 14, houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Proverbs 31 teaches that a virtuous wife is priceless, verses 10 and 11, is deeply gifted and talented, verses 12 through 27, and is praised by her family and honored by the Lord, verses 28 to 31. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, commands, commands husbands to give honor to their wives as joint heirs of the grace of life, lest your prayers be hindered. In other words, husbands honor their wives. Now, please explain to me where anybody gets chauvinism out of that from the word of God. Another myth is that the Bible places women in a lesser role. It's not true. Women are not given any other commandment than is placed on any other Christian. I mean, every, just, they're a Christian like everyone else. They're, they have, they're supposed to walk in the spirit just like everyone else. But in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, go back up to verse 1 and 2, it commands all believers to walk in love, to give sacrificial love to everyone around them and be as an, an example as Jesus. In verses 18 to 21, they're commanded, we're commanded to be filled with the spirit. The Christian life is consistently taught, all Christians, is consistently taught it's a life of submission. We submit to the Lord, we submit to authority, we submit to one another. And why would a wife submit to her brothers and sisters in Christ or submit to her boss at work and then not submit to her husband? Why is he exempt from the same act of love that she's commanded to give everyone else? Furthermore, he is commanded 
to the very same submission. He's doing the very same Christian service and sacrifices her. Moreover, he's called to the role of dying. You, you think you got it bad, ladies. You don't have it bad, but they think they do. You wait till what the men are required to do. You see, they're supposed to die for you. He is give totally and completely himself as well. There's no lesser role for a woman as a wife in God's family. You don't demote yourself. The Bible doesn't do that. A third lie or myth is that submission requires a woman to lose her identity. Now, this idea presumes the false idea that a woman gives up her identity to her husband's identity and therefore loses herself in him. I mean, that's, well, after all, I have to take his name. I've lost my identity. That's baloney. Where is any believer's identity? Where is your identity? It's in Christ. You see, chapter 5, verse 18 teaches us that we're to surrender ourselves to the Holy Spirit and be filled as the scriptural process of surrendering our lives to Jesus. And verse 23 commands wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. In other words, you've already submitted your life to Christ. Your identity's in him. We are who we are in Christ. We haven't lost our identity. We're a child of God. The submission to your husband flows from your identity in Christ. You lose nothing in your submission to him. Your identity as a believer is secure in Christ. So to think that you've lost your identity, it's baloney. It's not true. It's a lie. You're not any less of a person you're not any less of a Christian. You haven't lost your identity. And the Bible does not teach chauvinism. So let's talk about the meaning of submission. The word wives in verse 22 is not qualified. And what I mean by that, he's not spe specifically talking to a particular wife. So wives in general, it applies to every Christian wife, regardless of their social standing or their education or their intelligence or their spiritual maturity or their giftedness or their age or their experience or any other consideration. Wives, all wives, especially Christian wives. That's who he's talking to. Hupotasso means to relinquish one's rights and the Greek middle voice emphasizes the willingness to do that yourself. The submission is a voluntary response to God's will. You may be smarter than your husband and wives, most of you are. You may be more gifted than your husband and depending on what the circumstances are, you probably are. You can do things he cannot do. It doesn't matter if you are more educated. It doesn't matter if you're more gifted. If it doesn't matter that, that you've got more talents. The Lord says to submit yourself voluntarily because I have created that role. A husband and a wife and you're going to see that if a husband is loving you like he loves the Lord, you're not going to have any trouble submitting to him. But the wife is not commanded to obey her husband. Listen to me. And husbands, you listen to this. You're, 
that word obey is going to be used in down in chapter 6 for parents and children. Children are to obey their parents. That's not this word. So if you have, you got a husband, you say, you're going to obey me. Well, you're just out of, out of line because that's not what the scripture says. You're to lead. A husband's not to treat his wife as a servant or a child, but as an equal. Your wife is equal to you for whom God has given him care. And you have the responsibility to provide and protect and to love them. She's not to be ordered about or respond to every wish and command that you have. You do not have the right to tell her what to do. She's a child of God. She's equal to you. Paul proceeds to explain in considerable detail the husband's primary responsibility. And ladies, you make sure your husband is listening next Wednesday night. You make sure he hears it. He's supposed to love and to provide and protect and serve his wife and family, not to lord it over them. And Paul qualifies, he says, submit to your own husband. Not any other body, not any other body, not anyone else's husband, any other body's husband. It suggests the intimacy and the mutuality of the wife's submission. She's willing to make herself subject to the one that she possesses as her husband. Husbands and wives have a mutual possessiveness. You belong to one another. You've got a mutual submissiveness. The distinctions of leadership or headship and submission are entirely functional. And they were ordained by God functional. I've told you, you're equal. You're the same before God, but the functions are different. As a consequence of Eve's disobedience to God's command and her failure to consult with Adam about the serpent's temptation, here's what God told Eve. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now that's Genesis 3.16. The desire spoken here is not sexual desire or psychological. She already had that with her husband. She was created as a special helpmeet to Adam, to walk beside him. But if you look in the next chapter of Genesis, you find that where Cain is warned by the Lord, the same word is used, desire. Listen, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, that is control you, but you must master it. Sin wanted to master Cain, but God commanded Cain to master it. Now, in light of this close context of that same Hebrew word, the curse on Eve as a woman's would be to, I want to be in control all the time. That's going to be the, the, uh, the fallen nature's response. I'm going to assume the man's headship. And then the word rule represented a new kind of authoritarianism that the man was never expected to have. He said, your fallen nature, you're going to rule over her. So you want to know where the feminist movement and the male chauvinist movement started? In the garden. God never intended for there to be conflict between the roles of husbands and wives, but because of our sinful nature and because we defied God, now the woman wants to be in charge and the man's going to make sure she's not. So you've got them combating and fighting over who's going to run things in the family. 
Eve was created from Adam's rib and ordained to be his companion. And Adam himself beautifully testified, she's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. God's curse did not change his plan for marriage relationship or the functional authority of the husband leading the wife. Man was created first and was created generally in general man I hope somebody doesn't tune in right now. Generally speaking man is physically, constitutionally and emotionally stronger than women. Women are called a weaker vessel. That is not a criticism. Before and after the fall, the consequent curse man was called to be the provider, the protector, the guide, and the shepherd of the family. And woman was to be supportive and submissive and helping and with the children especially. Peter taught the same truth. 1 Peter 3.1, the idea is not that of being a servant, but willingly functioning under the husband's leadership. Wives are to submit to even their husbands who are disobedient to the word, that they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful conduct. Instead of nagging and criticizing and preaching to your husband, a wife should set a godly example before him, showing him the power and beauty of the gospel, though its effect in her own life, through its effect in her own life. Humility, love, moral purity, kindness, and respect are the most powerful means that a woman has for winning her husband to the Lord. The preoccupation of believers is to be the spiritual adornment on the inside, the hidden person of the heart. We spend so much time on the outward, don't we? I mean, there's more people working to make themselves more beautiful, but the hidden person of the heart, the wife's gentle and quiet spirit that comes from obedience to the spirit's control is imperishable and precious in the sight of God, 1 Peter Chapter 3 states. So what's the motivation of submission? As to the Lord. Everything we do in obedience to the Lord should also be done first of all for his glory to please him. Those to whom we submit, whether in mutual submission or in response to the functional authority, will often not necessarily inspire respect. Have you ever had a boss that you didn't respect? Sometimes they're thoughtless. Sometimes they're inconsiderate. Sometimes they're abusive. Sometimes they're ungrateful. But the spirit-filled believer, in this particular instance, the wife submits anyway because that's what the Lord wants her to do. Now, you listen carefully. If you are being physically abused, that's not what he's talking about. You got to protect yourself. Letting somebody beat the daylights out of you is not submission. That's stupidity. Forgive me for being blunt. That's not what he's talking about. Any man that abuses you, you need to separate yourself from that until you get some help. But 
Just because your wife, your husband may not know the Lord doesn't mean, ladies, as believing, believing Christian ladies, doesn't mean that you don't follow his leadership and submit to his leadership voluntarily follow. If he ever asks you to do something that's not in keeping with the word of God, if he ever asks you to do something that's illegal, don't do it. It's a voluntary submission. But somebody's got to lead. And when God comes to this family, he's going to look at the man. He's going to say, I'm going to talk to the person I'm holding accountable. And guess what, ladies? You get to go, it's him, it's him, it's him. Talk to him. (laughs) Because you've been following his leadership. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. The supreme motive for submitting to her husband is the fact that he is her functional head in the family. Doesn't mean he's got all the brains. It doesn't mean he makes all the decisions. It means that somebody, God's going to hold him accountable for leading that family. It's not your job to take over the leadership. I know it's complicated. I know there may be some exceptions from time to time but you're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you to be patient and to help. A physical body, a physical body that cannot respond to the direction of the head, the brain is crippled or paralyzed. And a wife who does not properly respond to the direction of her husband who's trying to lead in a godly way and who's not asking you to do something that's morally wrong or against what God wants you to do, if you don't respond, you make your whole family dysfunctional. And on the other hand, a wife who willingly and lovingly responds to her husband's leadership as to the Lord is an honor to her Lord, her husband and her family and her church and herself. She's a beautiful testimony of that. Now, ladies, before you turn this off, if you hadn't already, I want you to notice in verse 33, the model of submission. Actually, let me back up verse 23. It says, as Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior of the body, the supreme model of submission, you want to follow the perfect example of submission It's Jesus. Jesus, the creator, submitted himself to the will of the Father to come die for us. You know, Jesus is the divine role model for husbands who should provide for and protect and preserve. When he says Jesus is the head of the church, he's the savior of the body. I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. The ultimate model for subjection or submission is Jesus himself. He performed the supreme act of submission by giving his own sinless life to save a sinful world. Now, while Jesus was on earth, you probably never even thought of this. Have you ever thought that Jesus had the right to take over the priesthood at the temple? (laughs) He was perfect, sinless. He didn't do it though, did he? He was more qualified to make sacrifices than the priests were. He didn't take over. He didn't barge in and take over from the religious leaders. He did not resist arrest. The point here is that there are things that wives will be better at than husbands, but she's not to just take over the husband's role. 
Jesus didn't do that while he was here on the earth. Well, he didn't take over the roles that he could have done much better and is actually more qualified. Such a family is possible only by the filling of the Holy Spirit. You, You can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. Now, now I want to go to verse 33. And, I, and ladies, I want you to hear, if you don't hear anything else I say, this can make a difference in your marriage right here. The mindset of submission. And I put the word respect out there for a reason because it says in verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. King James has reverences her husband. Sounds kind of strange. But if you'll be obedient to God's design and display the role of a submitted believer, then you ladies have the key. You have the key to unlocking your husband's heart. It's a powerful promise. Listen to me. God has given you more power over your husband's life and heart than any other thing or person in your life. You have a lot of power. And respect is the key that opens his heart. Let me remind you the truth of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God created your husband as a male. And make no mistake about it, he didn't make a mistake. If he gave you the male body, he didn't make a mistake. You're a male. A man, or a potential man if you're a boy. God put in him the male engine. He was placed on earth to tend and keep, Genesis chapter 2 says. That means he's designed to build things, to conquer things. And when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam sinned. You know why? You know what the sin of Adam was? He didn't protect his wife. He was not deceived by the serpent. He didn't protect his wife from the serpent. And he abdicated his role of defense and defending. And so the serpent deceived Eve. You can read this in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, and 1 Timothy 2, 14. God explained to Adam that because of his sin, he would not be able to successfully accomplish his role. He would farm by the sweat of his brow. And when he worked hard, there was going to be a lot of failure. The sin wound is on every man's heart. Every man has a sense of failure in his heart. And man's deepest need, his deepest need is to be respected and honored And these two forces drive him either upward or downward. You you join with the forces and drive him either upward or downward. If you don't respect him, you keep driving him down. If If you do respect him, you drive him up. You build him up. And every man's deepest desire is to be his wife's greatest hero. When you submit to him, you're really honoring him. You're giving him respect. When you follow God's design for a wife, you touch the deepest need and wound in his heart and soul. He's wired to respond to you with his heart, affection, and life when you do this. 
There's such an important key that virtually every verse in scripture concerning wives includes the command to honor and respect him. Some do it in a positive way, such as 1 Peter 1, excuse me, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. This verse even tells you that you will impact an unbelieving spouse, that you can win him through your submission and respect. That's a promise from God. But this admonition is repeated at least four times in Proverbs. Proverbs 31, 10 and 11 teaches you that the heart of her husband will safely trust in her. You make it safe for your husband to give you his heart when you honor him. It says he will not have any lack of gain when she does this. Why? It's simple. She builds up his confidence to do successfully what God has called him to do. I don't know if you've noticed, but have you noticed that at least in Hollywood, and I'm speaking in generalities. I know there are exceptions, but it seems like Hollywood, the more they go in their, into their depravity, they make men look stupid, especially dads, husbands. They're just stupid. And I will confess that men can do Stupid things. The little boys that you see out on the playground doing stupid things. Hanging upside down on the monkey bars. Jumping off tree limb. You know why they do that? They do it because the girls are watching. Your husband is a grown-up little boy. He is. <laughs> Some of them probably say, yeah, he still acts like a child. He probably does at times. But I can tell you, your husband can take a lot of junk out in the world. He can be run over at work. He can be overlooked for promotions. They can... Misuse and abuse him at work. But when he comes home, if he knows his wife respects him and loves him, he didn't care what the rest of the world says. You have that much power. He needs you to love him. He needs you to stand by him. There are plenty of things in the world that are going to keep him pushed down. But in his heart, in his heart, there's this sense of failure all the time. Failure at work, failure to provide. You don't have to tell him when he's failed. It's already there. What he needs is somebody to say, I believe in you. I love you. I'm with you. I'm going to walk beside you. I'll follow your lead. Most men with any sense are going to consult their wives. But I'm going to tell you, ladies, 
when Paul wrote that, he said, let a wife see that she respects her husband. There's a reason for that. My wife, she, she's my best friend. When we make decisions, I'm going to consult her. And there have been times when I overrode her decision. What I mean by that is she suggested I didn't do it, and I did it anyway. And she had every right to tell me later, I told you so, because it never did work out right. But I've learned that she's got abilities, and I'm going to talk to the men about this next week. She's got discernment and abilities that I don't understand, but I believe they're right. But ladies, maybe you need to ask the Lord tonight to give you a new love and respect for your husband. He's not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect one, trust me, there aren't any perfect ones out there. But in down deep inside, that man is just as insecure as he was as a little boy. He may hide it better, and he's got a lot more experience to fall on, but, but he's still down deep. He still needs to know, I think you're wonderful. I, you're my hero. I respect you. I respect your leadership. I'll follow your leadership. That's what this means. World's got it all wrong. They think if they can make every woman equal with men in their jobs... Then, then it's finally going to be there. But I got news for you. Women, for the most part, can do the same jobs out in the marketplaces as men. That's been proven. But your role as a wife, your role as a wife is to help the family unit function. And any unit can only have one head. I do not own this church. I am the lead pastor of this church. There are 10 other pastors under me. When we meet together, they follow my leadership. I respect their judgment. We come to a decision together. But ultimately, you know who's going to be held accountable for the direction of this church when we get to heaven? You're looking at him. Am I better than these other guys? No. We submit to one another. But the ultimate, the ultimate uh, responsibility and accountability comes from the leader. That's what men are. We're going to talk about that next week. Make sure. Husbands, husbands, listen to me. You make sure you're here next Wednesday. Don't you find something to do. You coward. You do. You, you make sure you make sure you come back next Wednesday because you need to hear what we're supposed to be doing too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It's a touchy, sensitive, personal passage. It starts to come inside our homes. And Lord, you told us to take our Christianity home. It's the hardest place to take it. It's the hardest place to live it is at home. But I pray for the ladies tonight, the wives who 
love their husbands. Some of them have husbands that are more easy to love than others because they are at least trying to follow you. And some of them, Lord, have husbands who, who are unsaved and really are a burden to Christianity, not a burden to Christianity, but they're, they're an obstacle, that's what I should say. They're, they're an obstacle. I pray you'll give them an extra measure of grace and strength and help to be a loving wife and by her life lead him to you. God, I pray that you would work in the men's lives, that you would help us to be the kind of husbands that would make it easy for our wives to follow our leadership. Thank you for your word. I pray that people will heed your word. And I pray that you'll strengthen marriages. I pray that people will confess sin in their life. They'll forgive one another. They'll bestow grace toward one another. I pray that you will heal marriages. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, folks, this Sunday, we're still online. Uh, just like the last week, you pray for us and some of the decisions that are coming up quickly, and we will keep you posted. But invite somebody to watch with you at 9.30 and 11, and, and we'll see you Sunday morning. Thank you for joining us tonight. God bless you. I love you. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.